Welcome to South Sudan and Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan and Sudan this Wednesday, March 2nd, 2023. UNISPA tells South Sudanese and Sudanese forces to stay out of Abia. We did not deploy within our pay box. We did deploy outside of our pay box because we know very well it is only UNISPA and UN uh, forces that are authorized and mandated to provide security within our pay box. And Sudanese police detained one of their own after a protester is shot dead in Khartoum. This is a provocative behavior which shows the true image of military rule. We need to change this system and change their mentality. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The United Nations Interim Security Force for Abia, or UNISFA, is condemning the presence of armed South Sudanese forces in what is supposed to be a demilitarized area. A spokesperson for the Abia administrative area says he's glad to hear UNISFA, which is mandated to provide security in that area, speak up on the issue. Deng Gai Deng has the story for VOA from Bohr. UNISPA says it worries the presence of armed South Sudanese forces in the southern part of Abia will further exacerbate the conflict in the area. In a press statement released yesterday, UNISPA said Abia Bok remains a weapon-free area that should not have the presence of any force, either conventional or armed elements of both communities. It is therefore important that all parties respect the relevant Security Council resolutions in this regard. UNISPA condemned the renewed fighting within and around the borders of the so-called Abia Bok and urged all parties to cease fire and allow the political process to resolve what it termed the lingering crisis. The UN mission says it echoes the Security Council's call on Sudan and South Sudan to ensure that Abia is demilitarized from any forces as well as armed elements of local communities other than UNISPA and the Abia Police Service. UNISPA said it has strengthened the presence of his keepers in the area and is closely monitoring the situation and will continue to do everything within its capacity to ensure there is peace in the area. The UN mission called on all parties in the area to exercise restraint. Last October, the South Sudan People's Defense Force said it deployed troops on the border region between Abia and Warabi State Street County to de-escalate continued violence there. Major General Lul Roy Kong, a spokesperson for the South Sudan Army, denies South Sudanese forces entered the Abia area. We did not deploy within our pay box. We did deploy outside of our pay box because we know very well it is only UNISPA and UN uh, forces that are authorized and mandated to provide security within our pay box. We are outside of our pay box. This is where we are having our defensive position. And we had created a buffer zone with the intention of stopping is stopping uh, further fighting between the two rival communities. Ajak Deng Mien, a spokesperson for the ABA Special Administrative Area, also reiterated that UNISFA is in charge of providing security in ABA. This is a full mandate of UNISFA, as you know, in the box. Uh, we have nothing to do. They are doing their job that was given to them, and they don't want to see the, any harm group in the box. Especially when it is... Uh, either Sudan or South Sudan. We urge always for the minister to practice their mandate. So they are doing their mandate. So we see it in that line. UNISPA says it will continue to do everything within its capacity to ensure there is peace in Abia. In May 2022, 
Dozens of people were killed and scores of others injured when an armed militia suspected of coming from Peak County attacked the Aned market in Abia. Waraf officials said some Twitch residents believe Aned belongs to them. The incident prompted President Salva Kiir to form a committee headed by the vice president in charge of the government service cluster, Hussein Abdelbagi, to investigate the root causes of the conflict between the Ngogdinga and the people of Twitch County. The committee secretary, Diu Mathok, said last May the panel detained four government officials from Abia and Warave State for allegedly fueling the border conflict. Since then, no arrests have been reported. For VOA News, I am Deng Gaiding in Bor. The UN Refugee Agency says more than 630,000 refugees have voluntarily returned to South Sudan since the revitalized peace deal was signed in 2018. A UNHCR official in South Sudan says the returnees face several challenges, though, that could hinder their reintegration. Deng Gaideng also has that story for us from Bor. Alehont Abebe, Assistant Representative for Protection at UN Refugee Agency in South Sudan, says the largest number of refugees returned from the neighboring countries of Uganda, Sudan, Ethiopia, and Kenya. Since the signing of the revitalized peace agreement, we have recorded uh, more than 636,000 South Sudanese refugees who have spontaneously came back to their country uh, spontaneously. Uh, in the year 2022 alone, some 151,000 refugees have returned. These are refugees that have crossed through different uh, border points. Abebe says some of the factors that have influenced the voluntary return of hundreds of thousands of refugees include the improved security situation in South Sudan and the desire to reunite with their families. Returns are attributable to different complex push and pull factors uh, and we are currently trying to improve uh, our data uh, and our monitoring mechanisms for refugee returns. Former refugee Peter Ajak Ayom, who returned to war from Uganda a few years ago, says although parts of the country remain unstable, even after the signing of the peace agreement, he chose to return home in 2019 to check out job opportunities and enjoy freedom of movement in his home country. The time in the camp was not easy, so I decided to come back to South Sudan uh, since I have all these challenges. Uh, I, I, I was thinking that... Uh, is the better decision, regardless of other issues that are happening in the country in terms of insecurity, in terms of, um, uh, you know, there is no uh, food, uh, you know, people don't get away because of insecurity and all this. In October 2021, UNHCR said based on the prevailing environment at the time, it neither promoted nor facilitated organized returns to South Sudan. Abebe says the Task Force on Solutions to Refugee Problems, chaired by the South Sudan Relief and Rehabilitation Commission and the UNHCR, along with members of NGOs, conduct assessments in areas of returning refugees and offer advice on the safest and most affordable way to come home. Uh, so we have a policy from 2021. Uh, which guides our engagement in this area. There are so many um, uh, there are areas that are not necessarily suitable for return. So uh, we only uh, respond uh, once uh, refugees uh, uh, find themselves 
Azeri Chinese in their own country in working with the government institutions and relevant partners. Abebe says returnees face a myriad problems including theft of property at border points and a lack of teachers and health professionals. He says the returnees also face food shortages and intercommunal conflicts in parts of the country which can threaten their livelihoods and reintegration. John Darby, Deputy Chairperson of South Sudari Refugee Commission, says the government is working with its partners to enhance the capacity of the communities for the sustainable return of refugees. The humanitarian assistance is a comprehensive support from the government to take care of the displaced population, which included uh, refugees, IDPs, returnees, all, all these people, even host communities. Government has, has a role to play, and then the, uh, the, the international community also has a role to play. Last week, South Sudan President Salva Kiir heard the more than 2 million remaining South Sudanese refugees living in neighboring countries to return home. He made the call while meeting representatives of the IDPs and refugee leaders from camps across the country on Wednesday. Kiir said repatriating returnees is a top priority of his administration. UNHCR says it is working with returnees, local communities, and the government to create what are called pockets of hope, a solution-oriented, multi-sectoral, area-based initiative to enhance living conditions in high-return areas. For VOA News, I am Deng Guiding in Bor. Police authorities in Sudan have detained one of their own officers who allegedly shot and killed a protester during this week's anti-government rally in Khartoum. Police say the officer's immunity has been lifted as the investigation into the shooting death continues. Michael Atit reports for VOA from Khartoum. Hundreds of people took to the streets of the Sudanese capital on Tuesday to protest the framework agreement reached between the military leaders and the main pro-democracy groups last December. In a statement released yesterday, Sudanese police officials said an unarmed officer is being detained and questioned after he allegedly shot and killed 17-year-old protester Ibrahim al-Majzoub. The accused officer in full uniform was captured on a video holding an AK-47, shooting at protesters. The video went viral on social media. Majzoub was killed while taking part in a peaceful anti-government demonstration in the Eastern Nile locality located just outside of Khartoum. The police statement says once the preliminary investigation proves the officer is implicated in the shooting, he will be tried in a court of law. He's speaking to South Sudan in focus in Khartoum today, Al-Majzoub Al-Amin, the father of the late 17-year-old boy, says the family is still in shock. Ibrahim was one of the young people who have been participating in the protests since the early days. In 2019, he was still young, but he used to take part in the protests alongside his elder brother, Ahmed. Al-Majzoub says his son's killing will not stop him or other Sudanese families from pursuing the military and allow a civilian-led government to be established in Sudan. This is a provocative behavior which shows the true image of military rule. We need to change this system and change their mentality and the way they should behave towards unarmed civilians. Sudanese civil and political activists have also condemned the killing of protesters, saying military rule must end now. 
Manal Al-Khidir of the Popular Congress Party said killing protesters will not solve Sudan's political problems. She says it will only give pro-democracy advocates more reason to continue demonstrating for the full restoration of a civilian-led government in Sudan. We aim at stability and smooth transition, and at the end of the day, we want the killing of our people on the streets to come to an end. We want to see that peace and justice prevail in this country. Khedir says the killing of all protesters since the October 2021 military coup should be fully investigated. Any single loss of life in this country is the responsibility of the government. The primary duty of any government is to protect the lives of its citizens. So if there is a loss of any Sudanese blood, our government should take that responsibility. The special representative of the United Nations Secretary General and the head of the United Nations Integrated Transition Mission in Sudan, Volker Pertz, condemned the killing of the young protester. On Wednesday, Volker said in a statement, the use of live ammunition against protesters is unacceptable and contrary to Sudan's human rights obligations. He called on Sudan's interior ministry and legal institution to investigate and take appropriate measures against the responsible police officer and all other human rights violations that occurred in the context of the protests since 25th of October 2021 and to hold them accountable, said Volker. According to the Sudanese Doctors' Association, 125 protesters have been killed in Sudan since the 2021 military coup. Michael Atid for VOA News, Khartoum. are listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. Coming up, some opposition parties cry foul in the results of Nigeria's presidential election. Find out more after the break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today. What is the best advice you have ever gotten? Got an advice from my mom. She encouraged me to work hard. That she told me, and uh, a very successful woman is a very hardworking woman. The great one I can remember is the one my father gave to me to study hard. Actually, he was on his, I can say, maybe a deathbed. He was so ill, he had a stroke, and he was so helpless. He couldn't do anything for me. That was the last day I even saw him. It was like, my son, study hard. Is from my father. Um, he, he has always told me that um, I shouldn't be afraid to learn new things and to take up new challenges because he said that you're only afraid to take up new challenges when you haven't tried it. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. South Sudan in focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You're listening to South Sudan in focus on the voice of America in the third and final. Final part of VOA's interview with former Trinity Energy employee Biswick Tia Malu Kaswaswa, a self 
self-described whistleblower, describes his travails after being arrested by South Sudanese agents in a neighboring country. He tells the VOA's John Tanza that he left South Sudan years ago once he realized his managers were ignoring his reports of corruption at Trinity Energy. And then they transferred me again to the same place in Atarabara in a metal container. I spent almost three weeks there interrogating me. They were beating us up. I, I mean, uh, they forced us to clean the compound, cleaning the toilets until I got sick. Then they transferred me from that location to a private lodge in High Solar. I spent there a night. And they took me again to the police at Malakia. Then they transferred me again to the prison. At that time, my family was in touch with the international community, uh, with Amsterdam International. Amsterdam sent a a lawyer, Godfrey Vitabula. He came to see me in the prison. And then he told me that, please do not get out of this prison when anyone calls you. I've informed the prison authorities that they should not let anyone see you except me. That was in late February 2019. So we started the process of going to court. It was a very hard experience because it took me almost 16 months to get a judgment. The judge made a decision to return, to ask Trinity Energy to return my money, to return my passport, and to return my phone. They only returned the money under the court order and also returned my passport. But they did not return my phone because the phone was where there was a lot of evidence. The High Court in Juba uh, requested for your rearrest. Yes, the court, the High Court in Juba requested for my rearrest, and we appealed for that. And what decision. were the charges? What were the As charges for your rearrest? The documentation on the charges for my rearrest are not clear, but the letter that I have was the judge said, and I can read it for you. Director of Interpol, South Sudan National Police Services, SSP, Minister of Interior Juba, did. 2nd June 2020, dear Geno, subject, order to rearrest Bizwik Tiamaru Kaswaswa. Reference to the above-mentioned subject, the convict stated is a Malawian by nationality. The fugitive, the fugitive left South Sudan for his home country to dodge justice. The court has ordered for him to be rearrested and extradited to Juba so that the judgment of the court is effectively executed. That was Bismik Tiamulu Kaswaswa, a former employee of Trinity Energy. He was speaking with VOA's John Tanza. Nigeria's ruling All Progressives Congress Party candidate Bola Tanubu was declared the winner of the country's presidential election this week, triggering mixed reactions across the West African country. The opposition is saying the system's failures to upload tallies allowed for ballot manipulation and disparities in the results from the manual counts at polling stations. Our Abuja Bureau coordinator, Medina Daouda, tells African News Tonight host Yehez Rohib that the opposition is set on mounting a spirited legal challenge to the results. 
what we are seeing is a different kind of reaction actually from both sides there are protests going on pockets of protests going on most especially in the federal capital abuja in other places you find women protesting that is where the labor party has majority of votes women and youth are protesting on behalf of the labor party in other places you find men elderly people and young ones also protesting on behalf of the other opposition party which is the pdp but the protest is not an overall thing as we're talking with you uh, you just find pockets of them happening everywhere and then you never can rule out you know the social media where there is so much write up about this election half are praising it half are supporting what the independent national electoral commission did the machine that is going to be used to transmit this election results from the polling unit to the INEX server. But as it is now, the stories we're getting are that the beavers are not used in transmitting results from the polling unit to the INEX server. So that is what is making people agitated. Everybody is questioning why would this beavers machine that was proclaimed to be the best before the elections suddenly collapse during the elections and cannot transmit the election results from polling units to the INEX server. That is actually what is making people question the credibility of these elections. It's so ironic uh, that Nigerian Electoral Commission introduced this, uh, what uh, you're talking about now, the biometric voter identification technology for the first time yeah. at the national level and a portal for uploading election results to improve transparency, but it seems to have backfired. And I guess that's why the opposition and its supporters uh, are saying the system's failures to upload the tallies allowed for ballot manipulation and disparities in the results for the manual counts at polling stations. Very, very ironic, because right from beginning, this issue of transmitting election results technologically or through the Beavers machine brought a lot of problems at the National Assembly, like when the uh, Electoral Act 2022 was going to be passed. Half of the National Assembly for the House of Reps and the Senate were always rowdy about the mode of transmitting electoral results. Until the Electoral Act was approved, there were still questions as to if Nigeria is technologically advanced enough to be able to transmit electoral results through the, the Internet. That is VOA Abuja Bureau Coordinator Medina Daoudou speaking with my colleague Yeheis Wuhib earlier today. Six French and Ugandan environmental and human rights groups have lost a case in which they were seeking to halt construction of the more than 14,000-kilometer-long East African crude oil pipeline from Uganda to Tanzania. A court in Paris on Tuesday dismissed the case where the activists had accused French oil major Total Energies, the lead investor in the $5 billion subsidiary, of doing little to protect the environment and people. For more on the story, VOA's Douglas Mpuga reached Dickens Kamugisha, the chief executive officer of one of the plaintiffs in the case, the Uganda-based African Institute for Energy Governance. Of course, it is a very big disappointment because, uh, you know, for the last three years when we've been before the court, we had hoped that the 
the court would not look at the technicalities, would look at the merits of the case and be able to make a decision. But unfortunately, that was, has not happened, and the communities who hope to get justice continue to suffer an adult suffering. Now that uh, the lawsuit has not succeeded against Total Energies, what's your next step? Of course, the, the court itself observed that you know, they didn't look at the merits of the case. They said the evidence that we filed after the notice to the company had not been communicated to the Total. They said that the, considering the complex of the case, they, it is necessary to go for a full trial, not a summary proceeding. And internally here as organizations that had filed the case, we are discussing. Oh, we hope that next week we will consult the communities that we were representing. And based on the consultations, we hope that we are going to appeal the ruling and hope that we are going to continue struggling to ensure that we get justice. Because what is a fact is that communities are suffering their rights are being violated by the company. And that is the question that was not determined because of technicalities. We are going to appeal, but of course, meanwhile, there are a number of things that we've been doing even when, while we are in court to empower communities to stand up against injustices by the companies. And that one we are not going to stop. Of course, you have a situation here in Uganda in the process of us as civil society empowering people the government working with the companies, they have continued to harass, intimidate, arrest, imprison, illegal imprisonment of us as civil society. But we have to continue working amidst all those challenges. Meanwhile, as you continue, the East African crude oil pipeline is about to set off, and maybe you are, are you running against time? I tell you, when you are fighting against injustice, sometimes you, you cannot dictate about time. And we believe that no, there is, there is no way injustice can prevail. We know for sure even the, the East African pipeline, they haven't gotten the land. They haven't gotten the money to, to build the infrastructure. But they are trying to create an impression that, you know, everything has already gone ahead and we cannot stop any, all those things. But we know if there is injustice, and people stand up and say, we cannot allow this injustice to continue. Things can still stop. We cannot give up because giving up meaning that, you know, we allow our people to continue suffering forever. So we are, we are still ready and we are going to fight until the end. Is there a remedy you can seek from elsewhere apart from France where Total Energy is based? We already have around other six cases. In the, we have four cases in the High Court of Uganda, one case in the Court of Appeal of Uganda, another case at the Statesman Court of Justice. And all of them are intended to stop injustice, stop the illegalities, stop the dangers of the communities, stop environmental da- damages, all of them. But you know, the reason why I had gone to France was that these, most of these cases were filed in 2014-2018 and they have been in court. The political influence here cannot allow these cases to proceed. But as I said, it is up to us to continue building necessary pressure. That's Dickens Kamogisha. He's chief executive officer of the African Institute for Energy Governance in Uganda. He was speaking with my colleague Douglas Mpuga.
And that just about wraps it up for us today. Remember to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you somehow missed this broadcast, head on over to www.voaafrica.com backslash South Sudan. We now leave you with the song Janubia by Moa. Listening to Janubia by Mawa. I'm your host, Carol Van Dam, in Washington. On behalf of our engineer, Cornelius Tenor, and producer Kwame Afori, thanks for joining us today. Remember to tune in tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Ya meskin ugi afar